Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guests are Eddie Pope, Evan Whitfield, and Alan Hopkins, three founding members of a new group called SCORE, which stands for Soccer Collective on Racial Equity. We've had some great interview guests lately, including Gio Reyna, Fabrizio Romano, and Kyle Martino along with many others, so check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast's growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with the guys from SCORE. Our guests now are three members of a new group called SCORE, which stands for Soccer Collective on Racial Equity. The group includes founding members Demarcus Beasley, Alan Hopkins, Kobe Jones, Aguchi Anyewu, Eddie Pope, Tony Sane, Rob Smith, and Evan Whitfield. Additional members include Danielle Slayton, Kim Crabb, and Mike Curry. For this podcast, we'd like to welcome Eddie Pope, Evan Whitfield, and Alan Hopkins. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Grant. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I, maybe the best thing to do is the first time each one of you speak, if you could say your name, that might be helpful for listeners just to identify a name with a voice. But first off, in in the wake of George Floyd's murder by police this past summer, we've seen a lot of things happening in our society. And in American soccer, we've seen the formation of the Black Players for Change organization involving so many players around the league. How did your organization score come together? Well, first of all, Grant, thank you for having us. And on behalf of myself, the entire team, our deepest sympathies and condolences to your father, your family. Um, Grant, you and I go way back. You know, we've known each other. We've had a lot of media credentials. Uh, around our necks at a lot of sporting events. And um, for a lot of the listeners, you know, I've been badgering Grant all summer long. (laughs) He's allowed me to vent, um, to express my frustration, um, sometimes unsolicited, I would say. But I just appreciate you giving us this platform, Grant, to talk about what we're doing. And SCORE really came about simply connecting a lot of loose connections that we've all had, if you will, um, in this game of soccer. And Eddie is someone that I've known for a long time, uh, was part of his Hall of Fame induction, and, and certainly a player that I just really looked up to, although he's not that much older than me for sure. But the point is, is that, you know, Eddie and I really were connecting more, I think, just simply as black men, fathers. Um, obviously, we love the game. We talk about the game. And from there, it was sort of these concentric circles of conversation. And before we knew it, we started organizing once a week on Zoom calls. And uh, if it was not a pandemic, it'd be the best soccer barbecue of all time. (laughs) You know, we have so many excellent people uh, in and out of the game still. So it was really just a natural, organic way for all of us to say, how can we come together? And Eddie was a bit of a fulcrum because he had all these sort of connecting points Uh, along the way. And then Evan really sort of allowed our structure really to take shape. And what started in just the wake of George Floyd and a weekly conversation began, what can we do? What's our plan? What's our action? And uh, it's been beautiful uh, outside of what we're trying to do, which we'll talk more about. 
it's just been great fellowship, great community. And, and I appreciate all the guys that are, that are part of the group and the women as well, because we're definitely trying to do something transformational for, for all uh, underrepresented, particularly, but black people in the game of soccer. Eddie, is there anything from your perspective on how this, this came together? Yeah, you know, early on, um, you know, I was speaking with a couple of, uh, of former players and again, we were just having a, a general conversation, friends catching up. And um, this was actually before George Floyd uh, happened. And, um, and, you know, we just were having a very um, blunt conversation about where we felt we were all at in our professional careers, um, the way that we um, were just sort of perusing the MLS soccer landscape, if you will, in the the upper echelons of of MLS, um, and and really our lack of of inclusion. And so, you know, we, we just sort of felt like, you know, the three of us needed to branch out and, and have a larger conversation um, because we knew that other other players, other former players uh, were feeling the same way. And, um, and so we agreed um, to say, hey, you know what, let's at least talk once a week, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, just the three of us. And um, and then George Floyd happened. And so then it was like, well, this this is clearly bigger um, and should be bigger than than what we originally intended. And um, so then I just, like Alan mentioned, I just started thinking, you know, who are some other guys that I can call? I know, I already know what they've been through and what they've been um, experiencing, but um, I, I just want to hear from them. And, and as I started making phone calls, um, you know, the stories, of course, started matching up and, um, and we sort of came together over our, you know, collective black experiences. And, um, and unfortunately, one of the common themes was a lack of inclusion. And uh, so as I started calling a couple of guys, some other guys started calling a couple of guys, um, you know, we, we were careful that, you know, we didn't want feel, anyone to feel like they were being excluded. But um, we were calling guys who we were close to. Um, and, but we were also calling calling guys that we knew at least one or two stories of um, of what had happened to them. So um, and then it just sort of spread from there. And once we got, you know, seven, eight guys, um, it just started rolling uh, and, and very easily and very quickly. Um, and, and as that was happening, you know, socially, other things were happening uh, across the landscape of America. So um, we just started running with it and we sat down, we started talking. And like Alan said, we all agreed to at least start chatting um, once, a, once a week. Um, and, and then we wanted to start putting together how we were going um, to make a change, who were we were going to contact, um, how we were going to get them to make a change. Um, and, and then, you know, that's obviously where I think Evan can add a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, but that, that's sort of how, how this all started. Evan, I mean, the stats are pretty widely known at this point. There has never been in the history of Major League Soccer an American-born black head coach. Not in 25 years. And we know how few top executives in clubs and in the league office have been black. It's, it's a crazy low number. And those are just two things to look at from the data. Like, what, what are the aims of your group? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Evan Whitfield, I'm here in Chicago talking with you and, and, and Eddie and Alan. Uh, the aim of the group score is very simple. 
Um, people like to talk about the enormity of this moment and these, uh, you know, dark days that we're dealing with and this, you know, calamities, you know, nationally and whether it's ecological, geopolitical, um, biological. Um, so that there's this, this enormity to it. Um, and we've talked about this in all these meetings that the guy's been talking about. And when we wanted to distill it down and what it was that SCORE wanted to do, it was we wanted to increase the representation of black people in North American soccer. And our nexus of experience uh, is obviously MLS. And we wanted to start affecting our change in a sphere of influence where we thought we had uh, quite a bit of cachet. And when you read those names that are on this list, and you know, I exclude myself from that, but I mean, these guys that we have, these players are, <laughs> these guys are amazing, right? Um, these are the guys who, um, and the women, uh, Kim Crabb, the first black uh, player to, uh, woman to be called to the women's uh, national team. I mean, these are the, uh, you know, the cornerstones, the foundational blocks, if you will, of U.S. soccer. Um, and it's, I think it's kind of apropos that we're in the 25th year and you see here the, the marketing of like, what's going to happen in the next 25 years? Um, well, I would like to see the inclusion of black people. Because the first 25 years, the, the on-the-field product has certainly been built by African-Americans and people of color and black people uh, from all over the world. Um, but like you said, and I think you're referencing the FAIR Network report, um, those very same people are not being uh, elevated into the upper echelons of team management on the business and technical sides. And have you, as a group, had any contact with MLS headquarters, with specific MLS clubs to start pursuing sort of a, a relationship? Uh, I would think they would take your meeting given who's involved in your group. Yeah, you know, um, we do. Uh, we have been in contact with Major League Soccer, uh, Don Garber in, in particular, and those talks are ongoing. And, you know, there's a confidential nature to, to those because we, we're trying to make a safe space where we can have open dialogue about this very sensitive topic, right, which includes racism and people's feelings about race and ideology and whatnot. Um, but so, yeah, the short answer to that is yes. But also, I think more importantly, um, we've had dialogue with a number of the other, you know, advocacy or affinity groups, right? So obviously, that's Black Players for Change, um, Black Coaches of Canada, uh, Black Coaches Advocacy Group of United Soccer Coaches, uh, USL Black Alliance, and the Black uh, Players of NWSL. And we have been, you know, communicating with them you know, on the weekly basis and trying to align our, um, our dish, different initiatives um, to make, you know, the largest impact possible. I guess one question I have for you, like when you look at how, how few black coaches, black head coaches are in MLS, for example, how do we change it? Like what are the specific things that, that need to be done to, make sure this embarrassing situation doesn't continue? Well, really, Grant, we need transformation. And I think we need very intentional opportunities. And there still has not been a Black MLS president. Um, you know, we've had just a small handful of GMs. 
And the reality is, is that, you know, you know, we, we are just now beginning to tell our story. That's the one thing. And I appreciate Commissioner Garber. People are starting to listen to our story. And as Evan mentioned, when you look at, you know, and, and this is really for me to say, and I defer to everyone's name on this, on, in this group is like, it's the Mount Rushmore of black soccer players. And as one of our members says, oftentimes black excellence, and we're just asking for equity in what we've already paid into. So how are we going to go about it? Well, we have to really start having programming that is geared, but it's really about having the conversations because oftentimes we hear about opportunities through a press release. And the only way we're going to really change is by having representation. And, you know, for me, it's really personal too, in the sense that, you know, this summer, um, I give my kids, Sydney, Santiago, Sienna, so much credit because they really inspire and motivate me. And they're just so active and alive and they're optimistic. They're relentlessly optimistic. And the world, as I say, uh, a lot of adults, very few grownups. And it's been tough. It's been tough 2020 for Evan's, Eddie's kids, everyone's kids uh, in our group. And I say that because, they're soccer people. They love the game. And I was lucky that Dave Wolf, Siggy Schmidt, Jurgen Klinsmann gave me opportunities. But I don't want to rely on German American men with good hearts to give my kids opportunities in the game. I want to be that one. I, I want someone else uh, who looks like us, who understands sort of that aspect uh, of, of life in America to give those opportunities. So that's at the core motivation is telling our story. And, and making sure that ourselves are ready for opportunities that may come up. But, you know, the one underlying common denominator is that we all love the game. And even though we feel like the game is not always reciprocated, we still keep coming back to it. So if we can tell our story, if we can create real initiatives, make sure that we're talking to these decision makers early on, uh, the stakeholders, as everyone says, and then as Evan, I think, correctly points out oftentimes and other people in our group is what are the accountability metrics? Because if you're really going to do it, you got to do it. You got to be about it. You can't be something that you hope to do. But if we continue down this path, it will be another 25 years and we'll still be looking at sort of the same low rate uh, of blacks in the game who who want to be acknowledged and recognized but also just want to be a part of, of an exciting time, right? I mean, American soccer, thanks to people in this group, but everything that's happening right now is still on the come up, and we want to be a part of that ascension. Eddie, you're one of the most decorated players in the history of American soccer. Um, you mentioned when you were speaking earlier that you were aware of specific stories of things that, guys in your group, women in your group have experienced in their career. And I'm wondering, are there any examples of subtle racism or closed off pathways or even overt examples of racism that, that you personally dealt with over time or that, that people in your group you know specifically dealt with? It's easier to just say that in general, um, you can look at the numbers and they speak for themselves. It speaks for, you know, I mean, they speak for themselves because, uh, you know, 24 years going to 25th year and, um, and, and like Alan said, one team president or zero team presidents, 
Um, no, and, and this isn't, again, I always say this when, when you, people say this stat about not having a, one American black coach who was born here. Um, you know, for Robin and some of these other guys, I, I, you know, I don't know if they feel American. I'm assuming maybe they do. Um, <clears throat> Dennis, I knew, spent a lot of time here, grew up here basically. Um, so it's not to take anything away from them. Right. Um, it's, just a, it's just a stat. That, that's all I would say. It's just a stat. But I would say in general, what, what, re, what typically happens is jobs open up. We don't really hear about them. They get filled and you rinse and repeat. Um, and so th- maybe there's racism in there, but maybe there isn't. Right? Maybe there's just a, 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 you know, people hire individuals that look like them. Right. And so it, it's still a problem. But maybe that's what happens in, in a lot of cases. And I know that, that a lot of guys um, and, and a lot of the ladies have gone through that as, as well. Um, like Alan mentioned, there's a way to prevent that. There's a way to change that. It's through structure, right? It's through um, anti-racist policies. It can be through a lot of different things that, you know, where you just aren't letting that happen just because of the way you're built. Um, you know, it's not that hard to announce when jobs are available, Right. And then let the proper people go and interview for those jobs and have a fair interview process. That's not just checking a box. Um, Those things can easily be done. Um, So, again, I I think in general, what's what's just happened is that some guys have been overlooked. Um, I think sometimes um, a lot is required of a black candidate. Um, I think in some cases, uh, and again, this isn't a knock on anybody who has who currently has a job. I mean, it's the system is what it is. But I think a lot of time for black for black people, you have to prove yourself first. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes for white candidates, it's it's based on potential. Uh, so I, I think that's where it becomes difficult. Um, you, you know, we feel like you, we're not even in the game in, in some cases. Um, and so when you can't even get in the game, I mean, how are you supposed to play? Uh, so I, I would say that, you know, everyone's collective experience is, is mostly built around um, either not hearing about a job, not knowing about a job, not getting interviewed for a job, never being considered, um, interviewing for the job, but, but having to bring more with you. Um, and so those are huge obstacles to overcome. Um, again, I mean, just imagine if you don't even know that a job is available, how could you ever fill it? Evan, you guys put out uh, a statement fairly recently when the New York Red Bulls job came open and there's jobs coming open all the time. This is sports. People lose their jobs, head coaches, all that. But what as an organization would you like to see happen with this New York Red Bulls position and, and positions in general that, that come open? And again, just to go back to your first question, which is like, what are you, I think you were trying to get in some, some specifics as like, what do you want to see happen? Like what, you know, what initiatives or mandates you want to see happen? And, and the easiest thing to increase the representation of any type of non-white person in an all-white organization is just to start hiring non-white people. Hmm. Um, there's not uh, the need to spend several hundred thousand dollars to do uh, pipeline development and you know consultants and all these other things, um, especially in 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 the realm of sport, right? On the technical side of sport, in specifically soccer, we have a very large pool of qualified candidates. And I just gave you some air quotes there because the, those the, that that term qualified is so subjective, and we don't even know necessarily if there are actual criteria, 
right? But, you know, typically your qualified pool of candidates are former players, right? And we know that Major League Soccer is approximately 55% non-white, right? So if, if uh, those technical jobs are being uh, pooled from the qualified candidates who were players, and you see the numbers that you see uh, in the front offices on the technical side, it's just, it's, it's untenable, right? Um, so to answer your question very briefly, is that you just need to start hiring um, more black people or Latino people or women, right? Um, regarding the statement on the uh, Red Bulls, um, you know, coaching turnover, that was a, you know, that was a hit to us because, you know, first of all, those are both of my old teammates, yeah. right? Chris Armis and CJ Brown, uh, who I, I still you know, stay in contact with. So I was sad to see them go. Um, um, but, you know, there was a uh, quote and, you know, part of our strategy as far as, uh, you know, our advocacy is that, you know, we really do attempt to uh, exploit the incongruence between people's words and their actions. Um, so I think can't recall the individual um, president or whoever who made a statement that we're going to do this big, long, wide breadth of a search, right? So I just, you know, used his, we used his words verbatim and said, we hope that includes um, black and brown people because um, it's important. Um, and then going back to one of the initiatives that one of the, the question you had about specifics, you know, the MLS does have a diversity initiative. And, you know, people in the press have covered that and they've covered the fact that a lot of people don't know about it. Right. Um, so one of the first things we'd like to see is uh, to give you a specific something concrete is that we would like to see a, um, a, uh, a replacement of the MLS diversity initiative with an actual mandate, a rule that the commissioner could enforce either through uh, persuading people with carrots or dissuading people with sticks. Right. And that rule would be akin to the Rooney rule. And it would include uh, a number of executive positions on the technical and business side. And it would mandate the uh, interviewing of at least one black candidate. And because it's soccer and it's global, we do have to be specific. Right. Uh, with who could be hired. And, you know, uh, we've been working with and talking with um, a, a, a lot of people, including Jeremy Duru of American University, who's the authority on the Rooney Rule, has written a very definitive book on it. And, you know, in the 13 years or 17 years that the Rooney Rule has been existent, in existence, um, you know, there's a lot of data on what, how far the NFL has progressed, right? right. Um, so there are some best practices that we can glean from that and make something that's actually better than the Rooney Rule, right? So that would be ideally something that we would love to see. Do you guys think, and maybe this is for Alan, do you think we're seeing enough action, real action since June by those in power in MLS to, to create real change on the topic of racism and representation? Because there was obviously a, a lot that was said, especially during the MLS's back tournament, and we saw hmm. you know, the voice was heard by the players who I think did a really good job to sustain that. And certainly things were said by MLS leaders, but are we seeing enough action now that some time has started to pass? You know, that's a great, great note. I think the sense of urgency we've tried to have as a group is to ensure that this moment doesn't close the window before we act. 
And the reality is, if we think about, for just being really, really subjective, this was not a conversation in January, right? No one was talking about this at the 2020 Super Draft. And I believe the listening tour, if you will, um, that uh, the good folks in Major League Soccer have been going through um, is just about over. So I think, you know, this is glacial, right? Like this is slow stuff sometimes. So I'm willing to concede that while we want action and we are creating action points, that everyone has been listening and engaging, um, whether it be the black executives and, and uh, front office people of Major League Soccer. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing as well, Grant, is uh, trying to support, if you will, as a big brother role, uh, cool uncle, uh, an OG, if you will, to the Black Player for Change. Uh, Justin Morrill's been great um, and just mentoring them as best we can, you know, just supporting them, not trying to guide them or direct them, but trying to, to come alongside them. And uh, USL, their, their players, association, uh, players Association as well, the Black Players Association. So we're trying to aggregate all of these things together. Right. And I do think there's been a lot of uh, work. You know, my day to day job is in building and construction. Um, everyone wants to decorate the house, but no one really wants to make sure that the sewer and the drainage and the grading and all that stuff is in order. And that's what we're doing. The site work is almost complete. We've been doing the work, the earthwork. We've been making sure everything is good. We've got the soils report. We've done all the things you need to build the foundation. And now, uh, thanks to everyone in the group, they've been really just now we're framing up the house and the house will be done soon. And I believe that before the end of this quarter, there are going to be real mandates and real initiatives. And the cool thing is that it's not just SCORE and BPC and Major League Soccer. It's Adidas. It's all the, as, as I said earlier, the stakeholders around the league. Uh, people are really coming together. And if we can connect those dots and, and, and be a bit of a mooring for all these conversations, a clearinghouse for, for candidates and people like that, then that's going to be the win for us. So do we have anything to show yet? Not a whole lot, but I can tell you that a lot of people have put a lot of time um, Zooming and Microsoft calls and Google Hangouts. So I, I do think it's been genuine and authentic, the conversation, um, but we're done talking now. And, and that's where we're just not about building a house and 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 I'm getting that CFO and start moving in and start making that difference. So a year from now, Grant, you have us on. We can say we have someone here. We have someone there. We've been able to increase it, not just through some sort of uh, commission report, but through real people. And Evan said it perfectly. The best thing to do is just hire people. You know, don't over, you know, it's a simple game, right? And we're, we're trying to apply those same principles and theories as well. I just want to add one thing. You know, you asked if the MLS is doing enough. And um, MLS is doing things. They are doing things, I should say. And they're, they're supporting Black Players for Change and they're meeting with people and they uh, have uh, internal individuals who are putting together ideas and, and everything like that. And you should talk to MLS about that. I would challenge people, and including yourself, Grant, to do what are you doing? to address this issue, right? And you're in the press and you're in the media, media. And I listened to your podcast a few weeks ago and I thought you had a nice uh, uh, conversation with your guest about the FAIR Network report about diversity in US soccer and MLS and NWSL. And that was cool. And you brought that out to the forefront and you, um, uh, you, you spoke about it. And to Alan's point, in January, no one was talking about this, 
right? And I remember in, you know, February or whatever when the league was getting go the, the the season was starting, there was a big article about, you know, what's going to happen in the next 25 years of MLS, right? And there was no discussion of racial equity, right? Because it's not an issue to the people in the press who are overwhelmingly white, as you know, Grant. Um, and even when Atlanta's coach was fired, uh, MLS uh, put out an article about the eight prospective coaches. And they're all white guys, right? And, you know, could it be a woman? Would that be outrageous? Could it be a black person? You know, like, are people in the press... Is, is their vision so myopic that they can't see these things, right? So, like, you know, Commissioner Garber needs to be doing something. The 26 owners need to be doing something. SCORE is definitely trying to do things. Um, I would like to think that you're doing something by having us on the show today, right, and talking about these things. Are your colleagues in the press doing things? I mean, it takes um, – this is not a black issue or a, a Latino issue or a Latina, Latina issue. This is an issue for the United States of America, on a very large scale um, and all of the stakeholders, including all of our white brothers and sisters need to be rowing a lot of oars strongly. I totally agree with you. And, and in fact, think it's really important when I have a white guest on this show to ask the white guest as, as I did with, with Elise LeHue, the GM of the sky of sky blue FC a week or two ago, just, what she thinks about what is happening and what needs to be better. And she was very candid about how she thought the players, the white players in the NWSL needed to be doing more than they were doing and needed to, to start doing more. Um, and, and so it's been interesting for me because I, you know, we had Tony Sane on the show a, a while back. Uh, Sarah Gordon from uh, Chicago came on the show and, and, those are black players. And I, I even had this conversation with Sarah about like this. I know this topic's important to you, so I'm going to ask you about it. But I also realized that I don't think it's on black players to to fix this, you know. And, and so I think these are all good conversations to have. And I'm very aware, like we've had roundtable interviews with American soccer media. We had one with Ernie Stewart a couple of years ago when he took the, his job at, at us soccer, and it was like 15 people around a table with Ernie Stewart. And if you took a, if you looked at the picture of those people, it was almost entirely white guys interviewing Ernie Stewart. There was one woman in the group of 15 from the wall street journal, and there were no black journalists. And, and so that's stuff that, we in the media have to get our house in order and, and really start making changes there when it comes to hiring. And it's just like you guys said, hire people, hire minorities, hire black people, hire Latinos, Latinas. Um, I, I do think also, and this is for Eddie, um, I don't know how many of our listeners actually know what you're doing for your work these days. And, and I was wondering if, if maybe you could explain what you're doing these days and and also answer, did you ever have an interest in pursuing coaching or being a team president? And, and was that cut off or did you feel like there was resistance? Or kind of where, where are you coming from on that? Currently, I'm, I'm a player agent at Octagon, as uh, we, we talked about before we jumped on. And now that you're, you're also at Octagon as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, early on, I, I certainly, um, in anything, right, in, in a, I think for me in a front office would have been, um, would have been great, uh, would have enjoyed. Um, I, I don't think that I've ever been um, interested in going down the coaching route. Um, you know, I know that a lot of other players, black players, are interested in that and have been interested in that and were interested in that. Um, and, you know, I, again, I think um, early on, so that would have been 2007 or so, um, all the way up until now, you know, it, it, it's not like there were individuals beating down my door, right? Um, and and so I think for me, some of the, the, the decisions that I made in regards to where I was going to work were based off of those um, those instances. Um, so, you know, I ended up obviously at MLS Players Union and then at that point moved over to, um, to Octagon. Um, so, you know, once you, you, you know, you're signed a contract somewhere, you're working somewhere, um, it, at that point, you know, you're not, you're not actively seeking, um, you know, other, other positions and things like that. You're, you're at where you're at and you're giving that 110%. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, I, I did just want to touch on one point here in that, um, like you were, you were saying, even within the media, right, there's a lack of representation of, of, of black people. And, um, and I think one of the points that, that we want to make, too, is um, it's been a long time, right? We're, we, we haven't had a lot of black people involved in the sport. And if you start injecting that, it's just competition, right? And competition makes everybody better. It, it makes businesses stronger. Um, it makes your own on-field product stronger, off-the-field product stronger, because you have more people competing. Right? You have people from different backgrounds, have different experiences, who have different thoughts and ideas that, that maybe someone who's from country A wouldn't have, right? Or who's from, you know, the West Coast wouldn't have. I mean, all these differences are positives. They're strengths. So when you just completely eliminate or don't include a certain group or groups, it, it, you're just shooting yourself in, in the foot, right? It, it's like a self-inflicted wound, in my opinion. And so I, I think in, in regards to MLS and the other leagues um, as well, I think if you start to include others, um, and in this, in this instance, I'm, I'm referring to, to black people, although I certainly support other minorities as well, that's going to make things better. It's going to make us more competitive, competitive, especially globally. Um, it can make U.S. soccer more competitive off the field and on the field. Um, it's going to make MLS more competitive. Um, I, I won't go in the whole pay to play system, but if you can start to, to make changes there, you have a you just we have a group of people sitting on the sidelines that are ready to play. Right. And, and again, I think f for us, even if you, you didn't agree, you'd have to understand that. More competition, right, means improvement, means being more effective. Um, and, and I think as we're trying to, to get better as a soccer nation, um, you know, why would we exclude certain groups of people, right? Uh, we, we would only do the opposite. So, I mean, I, I think that that's an important note for us that we want, to, you know, to get across as well is that competition is good. Competition is great. You talk about when you're playing on a team, you, you want to have competition for spots, why? So the person doesn't get too comfortable in front of him. And it only makes him better. And the person chasing him has to get better to catch him and pass him. Evan, uh, could you explain to listeners what, what you've been doing work-wise since your playing career ended and, and sort of your pathway into that? And, and would you have been interested in, in a pathway into 
being a team president or, or, or a coach? Yeah, so I've, um, uh, Eddie and I were teammates for a, a hot second in uh, Salt Lake. And then my uh, career was uh, cut short abruptly in 05. I actually went home to Phoenix and I was a uh, physical education teacher, kind of like eastbound and down, but uh, not as exciting. Um, I did that for a year and then I went to law school. I graduated law school in 09 um, uh, in, in Chicago. Um, and I've been in Chicago ever since. I've been a uh, family law attorney and I do... Uh, divorce litigation pretty much exclusively uh, I'm a partner at my firm and um, I have kept my you know I have kept in, involved in soccer obviously just through my my personal relationships um, I was a I've written a little bit for Chicago Fire Press um, I have also done I did the uh, color analyst broadcast position for the fire for I think two or three seasons Mm -hmm. um i have also been a member of the mls disciplinary committee uh, i think the last th not this last season but the three seasons before that okay. um and i have also interviewed for um and again there's a little bit of a reluctance for individuals to kind of relive those traumas quite frankly and there's like a voyeuristic aspect that we don't love sharing this kind of stuff right um but i have certainly uh interviewed for um to Eddie's point, um, positions outside of coaching uh, that are uh, commensurate with my level of education, which includes a you know BA from Duke, a master's degree in organizational management, and a JD. Okay. And I'm gotcha. still working as a lawyer, so I didn't get those jobs. Okay. <laughs> is the MLS disciplinary committee kind of like skull and bones? Like the identity isn't supposed to be known? Did you just reveal yeah. something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh so really well you know what there is a uh there is a um there's a they want to maintain a level of uh anonymity uh just because right. those people are constantly uh reviewing uh, incidences and giving out penalties and whatnot and you know uh when the general managers or the coach or whoever is no, they all know the members on that committee, right? So if they knew, they'd be calling you every two seconds, like, hey, you know, when you guys meet next Monday, make sure you, you know, put your thumb on this one. So, um, yeah, so I think that there is a little bit of a secrecy there. Just to wrap up, I realize this conversation is a starting point, and I want to have you guys back on uh, at a certain point where we can sort of talk about, you know, what's been actually happening, how you're feeling about things. This is obviously a tremendously important topic and accountability as you say is is really really important to to really talk about what's happening what's not happening what needs to happen just to conclude though like do any of you guys have any other specific things that you'd like to bring up that that you think would be important in this conversation i'll say one thing you know and you ask this question um and we get asked this question often uh which is you know have you ever tried to get a job before which is a which is an interesting question to be asked mm -hmm. because um one of the first comments when you question somebody about the homogenous nature of their organization is they say well we would but you know no one ever asks and 
again, I use the, maybe it's a legal word, but in the legal context, it's untenable. It's not even believable that um, Eddie Pope didn't try to get a job in MLS. It doesn't make sense that Kobe Jones did not try to get a job in MLS. It's hard to believe that Gooch has not asked for a job in MLS. And when we say MLS, we mean MLS and or the clubs, right? Um, so, I mean, I know the question has to be asked, but you know the answer is that we have all, we love soccer. I mean, Alan has you know been in soccer at all these different levels. Eddie is, like you said, I mean, he is like the most decorated player. Um, I, w- I was looking up to him, you know, when he, I was going into Duke and he was leaving UNC. Um, you know, I am insanely passionate about soccer, right? I have two young kids and I'm spending my weekends watching six MLS games for the, the MLS Disciplinary Committee. Like, my family did not love that. <laughs> so, so when you ask that question, you should know that the answer is yes. No, it's good to know. I would also say the other side of that is the MLS clubs themselves should have people who are responsible for recruitment. And so they should be seeking out people who they having thought about this stuff intently might be good fits. And obviously people who have succeeded former players, you know, in the league would be people you would pursue and you wouldn't necessarily wait for that person to try and show interest and say, I say to you, I want this job, right? And and this is why it has to be intentional, what we're trying to do, because we're really navigating a couple of big boulders in these whitewater rapids, rapids, if you will, because you have the familiarity, right? The, the, the people that everyone can point to on a Google search, uh, most decorated coaches, who are their coaches, their tree. Uh, it's no different than sort of Bill Belichick, if you will, in football. You know, one person gets to have control over the tree. So there's that aspect, right? And again, as Eddie said, like, it's not even about them at all. It's not about anyone who's got the positions. It's about us having the opportunity to have those positions. Secondarily, we're also navigating the European-centric way that the pool of Europe that everyone, not only in America, but in this hemisphere, has to fight against. So as soon as a club hires a European executive, what do they do? They go back to their roots in Europe. So what we have to do is be super strategic and smart to know that those are two big things we're trying to get around. We have to come together. Um, you know, I, As I often say, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go further, go with someone. And that's what we're trying to do at SCORE. We're trying to take all of us up with us. And, and, and make sure that people understand that there are real things that have to be not just mandated. As, as I, I love how Evan really pointed that out because I often think that people think a mandate is a rule. But we can't just rely on everyone's big heart and their willingness to do these things. We now have to have real metrics, real accountability. And I'm hopeful that in the next few months we'll be able to have those things in place. And then just honestly, one by one, man, you know, as I say in closing, you know, all politics are local. You know, we really have to get someone at Club A, Club B, Club C, an executive, Team Ops. And it's really going to take a lot of work in the beginning. But this group is so motivated uh, to leave a real legacy, uh, not just for themselves, but for others. And that's why it's so great to 
to be able to share all this and our story with you today for sure. Grant, the one this is Eddie. The, the one thing I'll add just just at the end too is that um, you know I'm all about giving credit where credit is due. I mean, I I, I don't want to sit here and say that the league has said they're not interested. Um, they'll t- because they'll tell you when they're not interested in something. Um, I think we, we all know that. Um, but th- they have they have said they understand that there's going to be a lot of hard work ahead of all of us. They want to do that work. Um, I think you'll see them do that work. Um, I would say that they care. Um, I, I've been told directly by you know Commissioner Garber that he cares. Um, and, I, and I do believe that. Um, you know, a gentleman, Jamil Northcutt, who's working at the league, has done some great things um, as well. And, and like Evan mentioned, um, you should absolutely reach out to them and, and kind of see what they've been doing because um, they have been doing some some great things. Um, and I think you'll see more um, fr- from the league. So, you know, I, I do think it's it's important to say that they are taking steps in that direction. Um, and, and I think they uh, will be willing to work and they are working with all of the social advocacy groups that are, are kind of out there. I know there's a lot of them, but um, they, they are trying to um, t- to listen to everyone. And, and I think you're going to see um, them, them take some steps here relatively soon. Eddie Pope, Evan Whitfield, and Alan Hopkins are three members of a new group called SCORE, which stands for Soccer Collective on Racial Equity. Thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Eddie Pope, Evan Whitfield, and Alan Hopkins, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of our partner, The Total Soccer Show, for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.